Today on The Journey with Steve DeWitt, a message about Christ's glorious arrival in Luke chapter 1. This second person of the Trinity has left that place of exaltation and has come into this world. And Mary realizes this is not a little thing, this is a massive thing. Like Mary, my soul rejoices in God, my Savior. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, Senior Pastor at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. Have you ever noticed all the songs that surround Jesus' birth? There are five in the first two chapters of Luke, one of them being Mary's Magnificat. Today on The Journey, Pastor Steve DeWitt brings us to the Gospel of Luke for a look at this ancient Christmas hymn about our Savior. We're learning about Mary's anointed song of praise, and you can listen online at thejourney.fm. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's message titled, The Magnificat. I think other than Easter, Christmas is, as a Christian, uh, really the most wonderful time of the year. And it is for reasons that are oftentimes uh, lost on, I think, on the culture. And they don't understand why we feel the way we do and why it, is, why it means so much to us. Uh, Although there are a lot of things that we enjoy that everybody else enjoys, like we enjoy being with family and friends. And so as you make your travels or people are coming to see you, whatever it is, I hope you have a great time with your family, friends, loved ones. I hope your time is blessed. Everybody kind of does that, though. Uh, Gift giving. Everybody does gift giving. Everybody likes receiving gifts. All said, amen. So we're all about that. Lots of gift giving going on. People that don't, you know, believe it was the Son of God in the manger. They give gifts, and they can enjoy that and be blessed by it. But truly, as Christians, there is uh, and there must be something to our celebration of Christmas that goes beyond the sentimental, that goes beyond uh, the silver bells and the sleigh rides and, uh, you know, the spirit of Christmas and all the things that in the mall and in the press and everywhere else people talk about and all of that. There's got to be something more to it. In fact, it is that thing that is more to it that is what allows us to get to the point that we need to be to, which honestly I find sometimes harder to do. Can I be honest with that? Sometimes there have been some years where uh, all of the other things are, are distracting me, and I, I basically come to Christmas exhausted. And I go to the reservoir to be, okay, now I'm going to worship, or now I'm going to kind of get to where I need to be as a Christian for Christmas, and there's like nothing there. I'm like flat. And maybe that's you this, this year, I don't know. But I would say this, that we do not want to do Christmas like the agnostic and like the secularist, and certainly not like the atheist or any other faith. We want to be Christians at Christmas, Amen. And that means there is something to it. We, we believe there is more to it than just a story or a myth. It, it is grounded in a historical event that really did happen. And we believe that it really did happen. There really was, uh, there really was a Mary and there really was a Joseph and there really were angels and shepherds and all the rest. We believe that as the Bible described it, that's what actually happened. And we are not rooting our faith and all of this in a fantasy or in some desire to have warm feelings at a certain time of year. 
And we are certainly not wanting to miss the, the, the truth behind what it means that he is Emmanuel, that God has come. And so to that end and to that goal, I, uh, I want to speak a message that I hope if you, are, if you are not there by faith, if you are not there believing in this child as the Son of God, might encourage you to get there and to believe personally. And if you are a Christian and you are exhausted, you're, you know, you're just not there, that this would be something that would put the wind in your sails and uh, that we might celebrate Christmas as Christians. So I'm going to do it from Luke's account of the Christmas narrative. We have two gospels that really give us uh, detail about the birth of Jesus. Matthew, who does it from the perspective of Joseph, and Luke, who largely does it from the perspective of Mary. And so Luke is the guy, he gives us Christmas in HD, like detail, closer up, so we see what happened in, uh, in, in, in more minutia. Now, Luke does that much more like a historian, but Luke also, he doesn't want us just to know what happened. He wants us to know the meaning of what happened. It's one thing to know the story. It's another thing to know what the story means. And the way that Luke does this uh, may surprise you. Uh, he does it with a song. Now, more on that in, in a second. I feel like the church ought to regularly tell the story of Christmas. And so I'd like to begin by giving you the Christmas story in fast forward, okay? The Christmas story in fast forward. Luke uh, 1 doesn't begin in Nazareth or with at Bethlehem or even with Mary and Joseph. Luke 1 begins with Mary's cousin Elizabeth whose husband was a priest, and he is one day serving in the temple. And there he is doing his normal thing, and all of a sudden an angel appears to him and says, you and your wife are going to have a child. And Zechariah is like, how can this be? It's, we're older in life. I can't believe this would ever happen. And the angel says, to show you it's going to happen, I'm giving you a sign, and you're not going to be able to talk until the kid's born. And so Luke 1, most of Luke 1, is the story of how Zechariah and Elizabeth later in life, have a child. And indeed, Zechariah goes home, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. Now Luke 1 picks up the story then with an angel and a, a young girl. We're introduced to a young girl named Mary. Now, just so you know how young she is, she is probably somewhere around the age of 14. Okay, 14, 14. Mary, all of a sudden, an angel appears to her. Oh, by the way, she lives in Nazareth, which Nazareth is like, uh, no one's ever heard of Nazareth. I've compared Nazareth in the past to Leroy. If you're familiar with Leroy going down 231, it's like all of a sudden you're passing. You're like, was that, what was that? I don't know what that was. That, when people went by Nazareth, they were, was that a town? Well, I don't know what that was. It was a wide spot in the road. Its only reputation was that it had no reputation. And so you have a young girl in a, in a no-reputation town just doing whatever the 14-year-old girl does when all of a sudden Gabriel, the angel, appears to her and says, you are highly favored and you will, you will give birth to a, a son and he will be the son of the Most High God. And Mary, as a 14-year-old girl, says, how can this be since I am a virgin? Now, Zechariah questioned, 
uh, and doubted whether or not God could do what he was going to do. And so he couldn't talk for nine months. Mary simply seeks clarification. How can this be since I am a virgin? And Gabriel says to her, this is something that God is going to do. He is going to create this life within you. Now, we know more in the story, of course, that Mary was betrothed to a guy by the name of Joseph. And uh, betrothal in that time was a little bit different than our engagement, stronger, like engagement on steroids. It basically was a kind of commitment and covenant that to get out of it required actually a divorce. They were kind of considered husband and wife, but not yet. They were almost married. It was basically marriage minus the cohabitation and the consummation. So very strong. She's betrothed to, to Joseph. Now, this is an interesting moment, isn't it? When Mary has to go to Joseph and say, I'm pregnant. And Joseph says, of course, what any man would think, how could you do this to me? And Mary says, God did it. And uh, I'm not sure how well that would go over. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, oh, I've heard that one a thousand times, right? But anyway, this is what happens. And so let's fast forward now in the story and let's get to the beginning of chapter two. At the beginning of chapter two, we come to find out that the Caesar of all of the world, of Rome, the known world at the time, says, I want a census. I want to know how many people are in my kingdom. Everybody go to the town of your heritage. We come to find out that Mary and Joseph, both, for sure Joseph, likely Mary, are descendants of King David. In fact, in Matthew's account, the angel that appears to, to Joseph says, hey, Joseph, son of David. And that now gets the messianic juices flowing. If you didn't know anything else, and all of a sudden you get to chapter two and it says, they're making their way to Bethlehem because they are of the lineage of David. All of a sudden, all of these prophecies and promises and all the things that had been said all through the Old Testament now begin to well in your heart. And you're like, aha, wait a second. This might be something very, very exciting. Indeed, it is. And so Joseph and Mary make their way to the heritage of, of, of Joseph's family to, to Bethlehem, where David was from. About a 40-mile uh, journey, by the way, in a day when they didn't have cars or trains or planes or anything else, they had to walk. And so imagine now, we know that Mary is uh, nine months pregnant and they're making their way all, to, all the way to Bethlehem. Legend says she was on a donkey. We don't know if she was on a donkey, but tender, loving husbands of pregnant women treat their wives magnificently. So I would have to think that it was a donkey probably of some, of some kind, or perhaps the husband was the donkey in that moment. So... They get to Bethlehem. Now, this is not going to be a problem in their mind because they're thinking to themselves, we'll just stay with a family or a relative because in that culture, it was not uncommon at all to arrive somewhere and to simply stay with a fellow Jew. Very hospitable. You just show up at the place and say, hey, can we stay? People, come on in. You're welcome to stay with us. So they arrive to Bethlehem and they're thinking, we'll just stay with somebody. And after all, she's very much pregnant, so we need to find something quick. They come into Bethlehem and everybody else has been coming from all over the world. All of David's descendants, all of the, the grand, great, 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 great grandkids of Jesse and all the rest, they're all there. They've already arrived. Pregnant women travel slowly. So there's no, there's no place for them. They go door to door. Can we stay with you? And the, and the owners of the house said, I would love to take you in, but we've got them hanging from the rafters already. 
There's no room. Go to the next house. Next house, there's no room. Finally, they go to the inn where they hope maybe they might have some extra rooms. And the innkeeper says, listen, this place has been packed. It's been booked up for months. Everyone's here for the census. I can't, I can't displace these people. The only thing I got is I've got a little shelter out here. It's a cave. And you're welcome to that if you'd like. No charge. And so Joseph's like, well, what can I do? I've got to have some place. And so they go to the cave. They go to the place where the animals are, are kept. And that very night, the Bible says that Mary went into labor and gave birth to this son. And they named him Jesus. Now, all of heaven is so excited about this on earth. Hardly anybody knows what's going on. Mary, Joseph, pretty much that's it. But in heaven, everybody is rejoicing. The angels are rejoicing. They want to tell somebody. And so they pick the most unlikely people to go and to deliver the news to. And you know who it was? That's right, hobbits. It was hobbits that they told. Actually, the shepherds are very similar to the hobbits in the whole story of the hobbit and the Lord of the Rings is how the most unlikely people rise to have a prominent role in the story. And the shepherds are the most unlikely people that you would think would get an announcement like this. They were the bottom of the social ladder. You don't expect the shepherds to get the news, but the angel appears to them, might have been Gabriel, might have been Michael, we don't know, and says, there has been a baby born in Bethlehem. He is Christ the Lord and the glory of the angel. And then tens of thousands of angels fill the sky and all of them begin to sing and to be glad. Uh, glory to God in the highest and on earth uh, peace, goodwill towards men. So these shepherds who now are, are, can't believe what has just happened and what they have been told, they don't have PhDs, they don't have master's degrees, they probably never went to school in the first place, but you don't have to be very smart to know that if angels show up and tell you that something really big happened in the town right over there, that you probably ought to go and check it out. And so the shepherds, they go into Bethlehem and they want to find this baby. And you know how they found the baby? How many say a star? Nobody wants to say anything. It wasn't a star. That's the Magi. They come later. It was this, basically. They went into town. Remember, it's packed with people. They don't know where this baby is. They go door to door. Has anybody seen a baby in a feeding trough? And the door keeps getting slammed in their face because the women are saying, what kind of person would put a baby in a feeding trough? Get out of here, you shepherds. Door to door to door. Finally, somebody says, we saw a pregnant woman coming to town not so long ago. She went to the inn, but I know it's packed. Go find out where they sent her. So they go to the inn. The innkeeper says, well, I put them in the cave over there. The shepherds make their way to the cave and they get in there and there, sure enough, there is Joseph and there's Mary and they're wrapped in swaddling clothes is this child laying in the most humble spot in all the land, in the place where the donkeys and the sheep and the other animals stuck their mouths in a most sort of disgusting way and ate out of that trough. This now is the place where the glorious Son of God lays. And they tell to Mary and Joseph, you're not going to believe what we just saw out here. We came here because the angels told us about this. And there were tens of thousands of brilliant lights saying incredible things about this child. And they left there celebrating and praising God that they could be a part of the story. And the, the text ends with Mary treasuring up these things in her heart, pondering what they mean. What is this child going to be? And that's the Christmas story in Fast Forward. The church needs to tell that story so we all know what it is, okay? So 
All right. Now, with that said, I told you at the beginning what I want to do is I would like to make sure that we all know the difference between knowing what happened and knowing the meaning of what happened. And Luke, the historian, does not turn to facts and uh, figures to explain this. He turns to poetry and to song. Now, guess who is the artist explaining what this means? In fact, the very first Christmas song ever written by Mary. We don't have the melody, but we do have the lyrics. And so let me read now the song that Mary composes in response to her cousin Elizabeth rejoicing in her child. And Mary said, this is Luke 1, 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, what we see obviously here is that this Mary, this young girl, was a tremendous woman of the word. The words that she shares here, many of them flowing right out of the Psalter, right out of the Psalms, right out of her heart, and in a, in a most doctrinally rich and profound way. How many 14-year-old girls do you know that could write something like this? And we see that God kind of knew what he was doing when he said, you know what, Mary's gonna be the, the mother of my son. She was a woman of the word. Would that all our women would be women of the word. And to have God's word in their heart so richly that this kind of reflection could flow out of our hearts. Now, I'll bet in your Bible, mine, mine does, if you look at uh, this, this song, there is a heading in my Bible. It says, the Magnificat. You say that, possibly? The Magnificat. This is, it's, it's, the, it's the title we give to this song, Mary's Magnificat. And I have all the, I've read this many times, and I've always sort of thought it was a title that somebody gave, Mary's Magnificence, you know, like, Mr. Holland's opus, this is his, his supreme kind of song and his supreme example of his, his uh, ability that somehow this was about Mary's magnificence, something like that. And I've come to find out this week that it is actually the opposite of that. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to tackle this, not by reading the whole or studying the whole thing, but simply focusing on verses 46 through 48 and four words that explain what Christmas is all about, and four words that, if properly understood and in context, will not only bring the Christian to a point of worship, but will also bring the sinner to a point of salvation. 
And I'd love it if both of those things happened today. Four words. The first word we see in the first phrase, my soul magnifies the Lord. Magnifies is our first word. Mary says, this is my spirit. This is my soul. In other words, inside of who I am, not simply my words, but down deep inside, there is a magnification that is going on here. It flows from her heart. So what does it mean to magnify the Lord? Well, to magnify sounds like I make him bigger, right? I make him, I make him bigger. But can we make God bigger than he is? No. So we're not talking about somehow making God bigger. Well, what are we talking about then? And I think a helpful illustration is a well-known illustration of the difference between a microscope and a telescope. We all probably know basically in terms of form and function the difference. A microscope is something that uh, helps make little things bigger, right? So if you're in ninth grade biology class and you get your very first microscope and you get some little slide that you put the little drop of whatever it is, I can't remember that it's called, some kind of fluid of some kind. We'll call it liquid. And you place the slide over it, you place it under the microscope, and now whatever you, whatever is there under the microscope, while it's small, you look at it, it looks big, right? So you can now see the, the fabric in the paper, the little fibers, and you can see the cell uh, there under the microscope, and it looks much bigger than, than, than it is. Telescope does the opposite. Now, they're, they're, all, they're very similar. They're both tubes. They both have glass in them. They're both magnifying, but a telescope does something much different. A telescope is not helping us make something little appear bigger. It is about making something that is massive, observable, and understandable. I look, I look through a telescope at the stars or the galaxies, and I realize this place is huge. Telescopes are about wow and majesty and size and enormity. And the telescope helps me to understand that. And when it comes to the incarnation and what Mary is getting at here is she's not saying, you know what? I magnify like a microscope. I'm not saying this is a little thing. It's a little thing that I want to make a big deal about. This is a massive thing that I come in, I bring into my understanding and I realize what majesty and glory and, and beauty truly there is in what God has done. Like Mary, those who get what Christmas is about have a song in their heart. Is your heart singing today? You're listening to The Journey with Steve DeWitt in part one of the message titled The Magnificat. If you tuned in late, remember you can access every message from our Christmas series online at thejourney.fm. Well, Steve, this is the time of the year when people look back at the past 12 months and thank God for his faithfulness in their life. We certainly do the same here at The Journey. We are so grateful for the many ways that God has blessed our ministry over this past year. And we hope that you see this Bible teaching ministry as a blessing in your life as well. Maybe you've become a regular listener of The Journey, but you've never stepped forward to let us know that you're standing with us. Well, now is the perfect opportunity to bless someone else and give a generous year-end gift to help keep this Bible teaching ministry strong in the year ahead. 
When you give to The Journey, you can be sure that it will go directly toward airing and producing this daily Bible teaching program and reaching even more people with the truth of God's Word. Thank you in advance for your financial support. You can give a special year-end gift to support The Journey when you visit our website, thejourney.fm, or call us at 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. And as a thank you for your generous gift, we'd like to send you Max Lucado's book, In the Major. This book is perfect for preparing your mind and soul to worship the Lord Jesus Christ on Christmas, Lent, or at any time throughout the year. These 25 inspirational readings will give you a different perspective of an age-old story and help you know and love Christ even more. Request your copy of In the Manger today by calling 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or visit thejourney.fm. Well, I'm Tim Svoboda. Join us next time for part two of the message, The Magnificat. That's Wednesday on The Journey with Steve DeWitt. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.